Thanks, guys. Yep, yep, I'm a crier, big time. I felt it coming at the end of worship. I was like, man, Lord, you're going to make me cry through this whole thing. But um, no, the tears are, are joy uh, and sadness. Um, we we'd never thought when we moved here uh, just 10 months ago, uh, after 10 years in College Station, that we would be uh, loading up. We got a pod sitting on our driveway right now about to do it all again. So, hey, uh, young adult guys, if you don't have any kids or anything to do later this afternoon, this week, I mean, it is your obligation to help a brother out, okay? Um, no, I'm just playing. But before I dive in the message this morning, just, just a couple things. Like, I, I want to say thank you to just the, the whole Antioch-Austin family. Seriously, I mean, I could go around and spend the whole message this morning just like calling out individuals and just telling each of you guys by name that have just impacted and blessed us. I could honestly walk around to so many and, and just say thank you for being a part of our journey here over the last 10 months. Thank you for walking with us through crazy transition and, and sitting with us and processing life together, encouraging us, and, and honestly just, just wrapping your arms around us, sharing so much life and family together really in a short season. We've been saying that our time in Austin has been a, a, a short season with a really significant impact. I mean, I feel like the, the impact of this season in our life has been disproportionate to the short period of time we've been here, and, and it's because God's been in it, and it's because you've welcomed us and put your arms around us. So I just want to say thank you to uh, the, the Austin family and really just honor the, the staff team here and the overseers. I mean, y'all have just been incredible. Um, JD and Liz, first and foremost, man, wish y'all could be here this morning. It's not the same without you guys, but um, I'll get back to JD here in a second. But Chris, uh, you know, just all of you guys, Megan, Chris Otts. I mean, I, I know I'm going to not say everybody's name, Janet and Ray. I mean, just KJ, Nate, just love sharing life with y'all. And there's more. But we, um, the Weibles, you know, it's like, how many of y'all's houses did we live in when we first moved here? You know, like, truly, from day one, family. And um, so thank you. Uh, and I do, I want to I wanna honor JD. Um, man, bro, wherever you are, sitting on your couch, trying to heal up this morning, dude, I just... Uh, there have been few people in my life that have believed in me and have championed me like you have, man. And so I honor you as not just a brother, but as the leader of this house. Um, you're a mighty man of God and a phenomenal leader, and uh, I'm super thankful for you. And um, thanks, guys, just for the, the send out this morning. It's a really, really beautiful thing. Uh, and I just want to share real quickly a testimony because how many of you guys know that testimony builds your faith? Maybe you're in your own season where you started following a word from God and you're on, somewhere in the middle between what God said and seeing it, kind of like we have been over the last few months, and you, you don't see it all clearly. Maybe you have more unanswered questions now than when you started the journey. And I, so I just got to testify of what God gave us in our 10 months in Austin because it's part of your inheritance as this family. Number one, God gave us a place to rest. Um, we didn't know when we moved here to help with the North Campus that the North Campus wouldn't be meeting the entirety of our time here, right? And so we kind of got tricked into a sabbatical. But honestly, um, after, 
after five really intense years, um, full-time ministry in College Station, having a bunch of kids, if you know our family, we needed a rest. Um, and so Austin gave us a place to rest. Also, Austin, our 10 months here, gave us a place to learn. I mean, I can't say enough. You guys don't get to sit in on the inner workings of this team that's leading this church. But I have learned so much getting to take notes, watching JD's leadership and watching Chris lead and watching Megan and, uh, and, and Paget shepherd and pastor people. I mean, I just have learned. Uh, it's been a place for us to learn and be equipped, truly. Um, and then thirdly, it's been a place of provision. I got to tell you the testimony about our house, okay? Because we bought a house here in December, okay, when the market was already crazy, okay? We bought a house here in December. We were going deep. We're here, Lord. You've called us here. And after we bought the house, if you guys know, the market just went off even more. And so I just want to testify of the goodness of God when you follow his voice in the places where it doesn't make any sense. And we, in seven months of owning this house in Hawesome, we, we put it on the market a few weeks ago, got a contract same night, we closed next week. And we are going to clear on the sale of this house that we've owned, I'm just going to tell you the number so that you understand how crazy this is. We are going to walk away with over $200,000 in equity in owning a house for seven months because God is faithful and he will always provide for where he's calling you to. Here's why that number is important. Because the market in Salt Lake City on average sits about 200000 higher than the market in Austin. And so we got five kids. So I don't know if you know what that's like. But living in a 1,200 square foot or a 1,900 square foot house, is, it's not super fun with five little rowdy kids. You know, it's just it's not sustainable in my personal experience, you know. Um, but, man, the Lord has made a way. And it's launched us. I'm not saying the whole market boom was because we're going to Salt Lake. But I'm saying God has prospered us in this city here. And he has prepared provision for us to go. We don't have a house in Salt Lake yet. Hopefully it's not the same as when we moved here. But I just wanted to share the testimony. Because God is faithful. And it is always worth it to follow his lead. Even when you don't see the full picture in focus yet. Amen? Amen. All right. Um, Guys, I want you to flip to Exodus 17 this morning, uh, and we're going to jump into, we're going to actually read this whole chapter. You can follow on the screen, uh, but as we continue in the names of God, it's cool. Um, we planned this series months ago before we even knew we were going to Salt Lake, and they signed me up to preach on this Sunday months ago before we even knew this was going to be our send out um, to preach this message. I mean, this has been on the calendar for months, and it's really fitting uh, to, for our last Sunday here and sort of, you know, feel like what God has put, some, some things God has put in us that we're excited to just kind of pour out um, from our hearts before, before we leave. But uh, Exodus 17, we're going to read the whole chapter. Um, Jehovah Nissi means the Lord is my banner, and it's from this chapter. So check it out. Read along with us here. It says this, All the congregation of the people of Israel... Moved on from the wilderness of sin by stages. Hey, that's a word right there, okay? Little by little. According to the commandment of the Lord, and they camped at Rephidim, and there was no water for the people to drink. Therefore the people quarreled with Moses and said, Give us water to drink. Moses said to them, Why do you quarrel with me? And why do you test the Lord? The people 
thirsted there for water. And the people grumbled against Moses and said, Why did you bring us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? So Moses cried out to the Lord, What shall I do with these people? They're about ready to stone me. And the Lord said to him, Pass on before the people, taking with you some of the elders of Israel. Take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile and go. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock at Horeb. And you shall strike the rock and water shall come out of it. And the people will drink. Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. And he called the name of that place Massah and Meribah because of the quarreling of the people of Israel and because they tested the Lord by saying, Is the Lord among us or not? That was part one of the story. Keep going. They're connected. We'll get there. All right? Then, so after this moment of grumbling, of testing the Lord, of complaining about, no, why did you bring us out of Egypt to let us die in the wilderness? Then, after this moment, Amalek, which is another people group in the region, came and fought with Israel at Rephidim, same place. So Moses said to Joshua, choose for us men and go out and fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the staff of God in my hand. So Joshua did as Moses told him. He fought with Amalek while Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. Check this out. Whenever Moses held up his hand, Israel prevailed. And whenever he lowered his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands grew weary. So they took a stone, they put it under Moses, and he sat on it while Aaron and Hur, on either side of him, held up his hands, one on one side, the other on the other. So his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. Check it out, verse 13. And Joshua overwhelmed Amalek and his people with the sword. Then the Lord said to Moses, write this as a memorial in a book. This is why we're reading it. Write this in a memorial in a book. Recite it in the ears of Joshua that I will utterly blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven. Moses built an altar and called the name of it. Here it is. The Lord is my banner. I came to tell you this morning that the Lord is a warrior, and so are you. I came to tell you this morning that you've been made in the image of a God who is a warrior, and that your destiny is to learn to walk victorious in his victory, to be more than a conqueror through him who has loved you. Pray with me as we get in. Lord Jesus, we welcome your Holy Spirit in this place. Right now, we submit our minds to you, our hearts to you. We say, come Holy Spirit, have your way. Breathe on the word of God and make it alive to us this morning. Open the eyes of our hearts to see what you're doing, to get us, give us a greater glimpse of your glory, your goodness, and your victory today. In Jesus' name, amen. Jehovah Nissi, the Lord is my banner. What is a banner? Any high school football players here in the room? Wow, nobody played high school football in here? Dirk, okay, what's up? Uh, anybody just watch the Olympics? 
Okay, cool. All right. There's some level ground. Okay, so I played middle linebacker in high school. Here's what you need to know about middle linebacker. It's a defensive position. The middle linebacker, I had a little bit more weight on me back in the day. People keep telling me I look skinny. That's not for another time. Uh, I was a little bit bigger back then, played middle linebacker. The middle linebacker is like the quarterback of the defense, okay? So how it works is the middle linebacker would look off to the sideline at the coach, and the coach is like, you know, calling in these plays, doing all these hand motions. He would relay a play into me. I would receive the play. Then I would huddle my team together, turn to them, and I would relay the play from the coach to the team, say something loud and rowdy to pump them up, get everybody fired up, like, you guys ready to crack some heads? Let's go, one, two, three, break. We'd break, and then we'd get ready for the next seven seconds of carnage and modern-day warfare on the football field, right? That was the job of my job as the middle linebacker, get the play from the coach, rally the team to go into the next play, right? And if you remember, if, you, if anybody ever just been to a high school football game, can we maybe start there? Okay, you know how the team will like, they'll gather at the end of the field before the game starts, right? Maybe there's like a spirit tunnel, right? And some fog machines, right? And, and they, there's some big, you know, paper banner that the, the, the spirit girls painted, right? And what happens? The band starts playing, right? And they, they break through the banner and they run across the field and everybody's cheering and the band's going. And who's out in front? Usually some team captain or, or oftentimes some strong male cheerleader, right? And what's he got out in the front? The team flag, right? He's running with the team flag, you know, leading the team out. That is in essence that what this banner, the Lord is my banner. A banner is just anything that is lifted up invisible. It's lifted up invisible. More specifically, a banner was a rallying point in a time of war. Because what would happen is when, the, uh, when a country would be under siege or under an invasion, they would send somebody, somebody up to a hilltop, a visible hilltop in the region, and the, he would wave a banner to create a rallying point. Check this out. Where the people that were under attack and in this time of warfare would now assemble together around this banner and go to war together. Do you know that the Greek word for church is ecclesia, and it means an assembling together. It means a rallying together. So when we're saying that the Lord is our banner, and this, this uh, story in Exodus 17 really highlights for this, we are saying a couple of things. We're saying, one, the Lord is the thing that we lift up above everything else. And when we lift him up above everything else, that becomes the rallying point where the people of God assemble together to go into battle. Do you know that you are in a war? Do you know that you are in a war? Now, I hope this actually encourages you and makes some sense out of your life this morning. But you are in a battle. And I am not saying that because it's 2021 and we live in post-secular America where people ignore God and suppress his truth, the fruit of which is unending social unrest, increasing confusion and division, and a pervasive sense of chaos. How many of you guys know that what we can see in our country right now is simply a reflection of a spiritual war we cannot see? You and I are caught in it, and I'm not trying to be overly dramatic or even poetic when I use this warfare language. I am just being biblical. Ephesians 6 
10 through 13 says, Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might, and put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil and the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. I want to highlight the word wrestle. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers, authorities, cosmic powers. Anybody's life felt like a wrestle lately? Anybody's life over the last 18 months felt like a wrestling match? You've been wrestling with some stuff. You've been battling with some stuff. Has it felt intense, chaotic, confusing? You know, if you're maybe you're not a football player, maybe you're a wrestler, or maybe you just have five little kids like me and you just wrestle a lot. But man, the wrestling match is a place of chaos, okay? There's bodies moving around, okay? There's people flying in. My kids will just fly in out of nowhere with two knees pointed down. You know, it's just like, it's just, you just get hit from every direction. Wrestling is, is intense. And Look, as much as I wish we were already in heaven, where all sin and evil one day will be eradicated, where every tear will be wiped away, where everything will be made eternally right by the justice and mercy of God, as much as I cannot wait for that day, we are not there yet. We are not in peacetime. These are days of wrestling. And if you are looking for a style of cultural Christianity to add on to your American dream so that you feel better about yourself, you're going to be very disappointed in God. Jesus said, follow me on the narrow road where everyone will hate you just like they hated me. But you will be entrusted with the kingdom of your father and you will get to be a part of the restoration of all things. Some of you are wondering why life feels like such a wrestle right now. Can I pastor you for a minute? If your life feels like a wrestle, if you are messing around with darkness and sin, then your life is probably confusing, feeling broken, and feeling like a wrestle because of your own choices. That is not to condemn you, but to invite you to turn back to the light. If you are following Jesus, walking in the light, repenting of sin, seeking his kingdom, then your life probably also feels pretty intense and also feels like a wrestle some of the time. But it's not necessarily because you're doing something wrong. It is probably, it could be that you're doing something right. You're walking on the narrow road in a war. We're in a battle. The question becomes, how do we win? How do we lean into the victory of God? And I believe this Exodus 17 passage in this name of God gives us a couple incredible strategies for victory. How many of you want to live a victorious life? Like if you actually want to see victory in your life. I'm not saying it's not going to be hard. I'm not saying you're not going to wrestle. 
I'm not saying you're not going to struggle, but I'm going to say when you struggle, you're going to come out the other side, okay? Like Jesus struggled, endured the cross for the joy set before him, and came out on the other side, okay? How many of you want victory? How many of you are tired of feeling defeated? How many of you are tired of feeling like you're sucked into the whirlwind of culture and this spiritual wrestle all around us? You feel it. You're exhausted. You're weary. I believe God's going to invite some of us out of a season of feeling defeated and into a season of learning to walk in his victory this morning. The Lord is our banner. He's what we lift up. He's our rallying point in times of war. He's what we gather around. It's more important than ever that we are the church gathered, that we are rallying together. And I know what I'm saying, and I know the context out there of what I'm saying that into, but the Lord is our banner, and we have to rally around him. We have to rally around his presence. Why? Why is it important that we rally around him and lift him up and rally together in a time of war? Why? Because in the words of Exodus 15, 3, The Lord is a warrior. The Lord is his name. Do you know your God? Do you know your warrior fighting God? Do you know the king whose robe is drenched in blood as he goes forth to conquer his enemies and yours? The Lord is a warrior. The Lord is his name. Zephaniah 3.17 and the New American Standard says, the Lord, your God, is in your midst. Guess what? That means he's with you. Do you know that the God who's with you is not just the comfort of the Holy Spirit, the comfort of the presence, but it's the strength of a victorious warrior. Do you know your God? 1 Samuel 7, 45, in the face of Goliath, David said to the Philistine, you come to me with a sword and a spear and a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have taunted. The Lord of hosts is God's battlefield name. The Lord is a warrior. Do you know your God? And we're going to dig into this one in Isaiah 42. So if you want to flip your Bible to Isaiah 42, we're going to read a few verses. I'm going to start in verse 13. It says this, The Lord will go forth like a warrior. He will arouse his zeal like a man of war. He will utter a shout. Yes, he will raise a war cry, and he will prevail against his enemies. Do you know that the Lord, your Lord, is a warrior? Do you know that your destiny following him is to be more than a conqueror. The Lord is a warrior. I want us to look at Isaiah 42, though. I just read verse 13. We're going to read verses 10 through 12, the few verses before it. Don't miss this. Watch. I want you to see what roused this warrior God to go forth into battle. Read it with me. It says this in Isaiah 42:10. Sing to the Lord a new song. His praise from the end of the earth. You who go down to the sea and all that fills it, the coastlands and their inhabitants, let the desert and its cities, what? Lift up their voice. The villages that Kedar inhabits, let the inhabitants of Selah sing for joy. Let them, what? Shout from the top of the mountains. Let them, what? Let them give glory to the Lord and declare his praise. 
Declare his praise in the coastlands. Are you seeing this? Sing. Lift up your voice. Sing for joy. Let them shout. Let them give glory. Let them declare his praise. And what's the Lord do in verse 13? He goes forth like a warrior. We arouse him in his zeal. We arouse the warrior within him when we exalt him with our worship. He goes forth like a man of war to prevail against his enemies and yours. The number one thing that I want you to know this morning is that there's victory in your worship. There's victory in your praise. There is victory when you sing and shout because you stir up God who is a warrior and he goes forth to fight your battles for you. The Lord is a warrior just like Moses. Did you catch it? Just like Moses up on the hilltop raising his hands on the hillside, there is victory in your praise. Let's go back there, Exodus 17, 11. Whenever Moses held up his hand, Israel prevailed. Whenever he lowered his hand, Amalek prevailed. But his hands grew weary. Anybody grow weary this past year? Anybody grow weary in your worship? Anybody grow weary in your praise? Anybody grow weary in your faith and your devotion to God? Anybody grow weary of trying to watch church online and then weary of coming here? Because when you come here, sometimes it doesn't always feel like church. I'm not saying anything about this house. I'm just saying, anybody just weary of trying to figure it out? I'm so glad it says that Moses' hands grew weary. They took a stone. They put it under him. He sat on it. While Aaron and Hur held up his hands, one on one side, the other on the other, his hands were steady. You can't be steady without some people around you. We're going to get there in a second. What I want you to see now is that there is victory in your praise. I want to talk about praise for a minute. There's victory in your praise. Why do we worship God? I'll give you the most simple answer I've ever heard, and then I'm going to go off from there. But why do we worship God? We worship because he is God and we are not. He's the most amazingly creative, beautiful, powerful, good, wise, merciful, faithful, just. Did I say good? Did I say that he's perfect in all his ways? Did I say that he's full of love? He's compassionate. He's gracious. He's redemptive. He's restorative. He's joyful. He's peaceful. He's patient. He's kind. Did I say that he is good? He's the one who formed us in his hands. He's the one whose heart broke every time we walked away. He's the one whose son broke on the cross so that we could come back. He's the one who never gives up. He never runs out. He never stops seeking you. He never stops calling your name. He never stops coming to your defense because he is a warrior and he is a king and he is good and he is God. And we are not. And he is worthy. He is worthy of our worship. The word worship actually means worth-ship. The response to his worth is our worship. The obsession of his value is our worship. The preoccupation with his goodness and his glory is our worship. Worship has nothing to do with our feelings and everything to do with his worth. 
But if you learn to worship him in spite of your feelings, it'll help your feelings out a lot. I'll just tell you that. As a heavy feeler that, you know, just rides the roller coaster of my emotional life. Thank you, Mom, for all the... Uh, I love my mom. She's amazing. Amazing. My mom is emotional, sweet. I got all of it from her. She's an artist, an oil painter, you know. And she's up or she's down and not often in between. And I'm right. I'm, I, can, I can be there right there with her. I got all the feels, all the emotions. But worship has nothing to do with our feelings and everything to do with his worth. Praise actually means the vocal adoration of God. You know, you cannot praise somebody silently. You can meditate. That's great. There's a place for that. You cannot praise quietly because praise means I look at my wife. I'm not going to sit here quiet, but let, let me just, I'm just going to praise you for a minute, babe. And then sit there quietly and not say anything. No, 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 no. I, if I'm going to praise my wife, I begin to say to her, you are exceedingly beautiful and advanced to royalty. You're a woman of God. You carry the peace of God. You carry the faith like I've never seen anybody else carry in God. You're an incredible mother to our children. I don't even know how you're still alive, frankly. I don't know how you do it every day. It is shocking to me, not just that you're alive, but that you're smiling. It's unbelievable. I've never been around somebody so strong and yet so okay with weakness and so secure in God's love. You're incredible. You cannot praise somebody quietly. Husbands, take some notes. Open your mouth. Tell your wife why she's amazing. Everybody else, take some notes. Open your mouth. Tell your God why he's amazing, all right? Because you know that there's death and life and the power of your tongue. And if you will open your mouth and begin to tell God who he is and what you love about him, especially when your feelings are down here and you don't feel like it. You know that you will create life by your praise? Isn't it interesting? We're not going to camp here, but isn't it interesting that the first half of Exodus 17, what were they doing, remember? How were they using the power of their mouth? They were complaining. They were grumbling. They were putting their leader and their God to the test. Now, I'm not saying that God sent this army, but I'm saying right after they're grumbling and complaining, is anybody with me this morning? An army rises up to come against them, okay? So maybe, I'm not saying God sent the army, but maybe they're complaining, maybe they're grumbling, maybe they're testing of God. Is God among us or not? Maybe it attracted the army to them. Because there's death and life and the power of your tongue. Some of you are under unnecessary warfare because you're using your mouth to speak death over your circumstances, to speak death over your season. You're saying things about your life and circumstances season, and I could be the first to repent to my wife because she's heard me say them this week, all right? I'm not immune to this, but I do want us to be aware of this. There's death and life and the power of your tongue. Don't attract an unnecessary war to your life because you're complaining instead of praising. Romans 10 says faith comes from hearing. Somebody say that with me. Faith comes from hearing. Who's the first person that hears when you open your mouth to praise? You. Some of you are like, Lord, give me more faith. Give me more faith. 
build my faith. Build my faith, Lord. I'm like, why don't you start giving him some more praise? I promise you, if you open your mouth and start hearing who he is, your faith will go like this. Is anybody with me? There is life in the power of your tongue. Praise has nothing to do with your feelings and everything to do with your faith. I love this Psalm 22, 3. And the King James Version says this. It says, we got Psalm 22, 3 up there. Maybe not. It's okay. It says essentially this, that the Lord is holy and that he inhabits the praises of his people. The word inhabit, think about it. Where do you live? It's, he dwells within the praises of his people. Another translation for that word is that he sits. So have you ever heard people say God is enthroned upon the praises of his people? It's because when we begin to praise him, maybe you've even felt it in this room this morning. When we begin to praise him, when we begin to speak with our mouths who he is, when we begin to adore him, when we lift up him as our banner and we make him our focus, guess what? We're building. Where do kings sit? Kings sit on thrones. Okay, he comes. We're building a place for him to sit, and he comes. And so when you walk into this place and you experience something supernatural in the room, it's probably because the people of God are praising their king. They're building a throne, and he just came and inhabited the praise of his people. It's not because the lights look good, which they do. Tyler praying and team, way to go. It's not because the worship band is incredible, godly people seeking the Lord and are filled with faith. They are Moses and team, way to go. But the secret sauce is not the production. The secret sauce is that the king is sitting in the room. The king of victory is sitting in the room. The victory is the Lord's. Jesus has already disarmed every ruler and false authority over this planet. We enthrone him in our worship, and he comes and sits. And everything changes when the king of victory is in the room. We don't praise because we feel like it. We praise because he's worthy and we're building a throne. Now, because it's in this story, I want to give you the biblical basis for hand-raising in hopes that I might convert every single one of you into zealous worship hand-raisers this morning. Okay, I'm just telling you that is my 100% agenda, okay, is to convert every one of you into zealous worship hand-raisers. You might see me around here in worship. I always raise my hands in worship. You might think, man, that guy just, he's feeling it all the time. He just gets in here and, whoa, you know. No, I don't raise my hands because I'm always feeling it. I raise my hands because he's worthy and I want to encounter him. I don't lift my hands because I'm just caught up in the moment all the time. Lift my hands, one, because it's biblical. I'm going to show you Psalm 63, 3 through 4 says this. Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will what? Praise you. I will bless you as long as I live. And in your name, I will lift up my hands. Just being biblical. You can choose not to be biblical. That's fine. I'll give you some more. Psalm 119, 48. I will lift up my hands toward your commandments, which I love. And I will meditate on your statutes. Just being biblical. You don't have to, but I'm saying it's a good idea. Psalm 134, 2. Lift up your hands to the holy place and bless the Lord. 
Moses on a hillside, lifting his hands, watching the victory of God move forward. There's victory in your praise. And I want you to know also this morning as we start to close here, um, that just like Aaron and her, and her on the mountainside, there's victory in your people. I want you to know that your weakness, just like Moses' weariness, okay, your weakness plus community will still equal victory every time. Your weakness plus isolation will always equal defeat. And I want us to see this incredible story, okay? Moses' ability to allow two other men to support him in his weakness actually sustained the battle that Joshua was fighting. Do you see the interconnectedness? This is incredible. Do you see this story? Do you see the body being the body, the interconnectedness? It's mind-blowing to me. Do you see the levels of authority? Moses was the anointed leader to lead the people in that season. Aaron and her were the guys that were supposed to be next to him, holding up his arms in the place of his weakness. But Joshua was on the front line. He was the life group leader. He was the serve team leader. He was whatever your thing is and however you're serving, right? Do you see the interconnectedness? This is beautiful. And there was a very real battle that had very real life and death implications. And it was all connected to this man of faith lifting his arms for as long as he could. And then when he got weak, letting somebody, letting the community hold his arms up. I want to tell you a couple things. Don't be ashamed of your weakness and bury it in isolation. Your weakness plus isolation will equal defeat for you every time. But bring your weakness into this place. Bring your weakness into the community, and it will still equal victory. I promise you it did for Moses. Number two, don't be judgmental of your brother's weakness and stand at a distance when you see his arms coming down somebody. Can, can we just be honest that the temptation when we see a weak leader, the temptation when we see a weak brother who's been trying to lift his hands up and lead the best he can and then his hands start trembling because it's hard to be a leader. It's hard to be a Moses when all the people are grumbling and his hands start to come down and instead of coming to his side, to come into each other's side and our weakness and lifting each other's arms up so that the community can stay in victory, we stay over here and we criticize our brother. We judge our brother's hands as they're falling to the ground. Don't stand at a distance, please. Now look, when you come in close, can I get somebody up here? Moses and Otz. Okay, look, look, or, yeah, are you connected to something? It's good. Okay, now check it out. I just want to be real real, and this might be a little funny. Get on each side, okay? But if I'm up here, right, and you get close to me, and I've been sweating in the sun all day long, right? It's been a battle, right? And it's been a hard season, right? And my arms are getting weak. You know, I don't know if I got any pit stains going on right now, but I guarantee you Moses was stinky. Okay? Getting close enough to a brother to hold him up in his weakness. Look where these guys' faces are, man. Your face has got to get in their stink, man. You, you got to get comfortable with not everybody smelling good all the time. You got to be okay. You got to be okay that getting that close might smell a little bit. Is anybody hearing the invitation of the Lord? Stop 
we got to stop criticizing our leaders. we got to start praying for them. Because honestly, most of us aren't up on the mountain. We're on the field with Joshua. If you knew that your victory on the field was connected to what was happening up on the hilltop, you think that as you're swinging your sword, you might also be praying for those guys? There's victory in your people. There's victory in your people. Stand with me this morning. I want to finish with one last battle scene story out of 2 Kings 6. Some of y'all familiar with this one? The short story is, is that another nation was coming up against Israel. This seemed to happen quite a lot. In this case, it was Syria. They were coming up against the Israelites. But every time they'd try to siege Israel, uh, God would speak to Elisha the prophet and tell Elisha the plans beforehand, and they would kind of, you know, foil the plot, so to speak. And so Syria could never attack Israel. And they discovered that it was because there was this man of God named Elisha who had the voice of the Lord. Are you with me? And so they decided, well, if we can't attack Israel, let's go attack Elisha. <laughs> and so uh, Elisha's camping out. They found out where he was, and they, Syria, they send their army, right? Some of y'all know this story, okay? And so Elisha had a servant, okay? And it says this in 2 Kings 15, verse 17. It says, the servant of the man of God, he woke up, and in the morning, early in the morning, he went out from his tent, and behold, there was an army with horses and chariots all around the city. And the servant came in to Elijah, and he said, Master, what are we going to do? Oh, man, listen. Listen to this response of a man of God. He said, do not be afraid. Some of y'all need to leave fear and step into victory this morning. Some of y'all are so focused on the army at your doorstep that you're not seeing the army that's behind you. Watch, watch, do not be afraid. For those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Then Elisha prayed and he said, oh Lord, Please open his eyes that he could see. Faith is the conviction of things that we cannot see. Faith is the conviction of the things that we cannot see. Faith is the conviction of the things that we cannot see. Open his eyes that he can see. So the Lord opened his eyes of the young man and he saw and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around church you gotta open your eyes to what you cannot see or maybe you gotta close your eyes and stop looking at what you can see and open your eyes of faith to see that those who are with us are more than those that are with them